have your Bibles, would you please open up to Isaiah chapter 9. We have one theme verse that we're going to be looking at this morning. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Would you please join with me as we pray and we'll commit this time of studying God's word to him. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've blessed us with, Lord, with this semblance of a a winter climate for Southern California. We thank you, God, that you have blessed us so abundantly. And Lord, this morning, as we come to you with all of our different thoughts and our emotions, our experiences from this last week, Lord, things that we're concerned about that lie ahead, things that we're presently wrestling with and working through, Lord, I ask that you would please draw us closer to you today, Father, than we were when we came in. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would like to speak to us. Lord, so often that still small voice is drowned out by so many things. And Lord, we ask that today we be able to lay aside all of those distractions. And even now, Lord, ask you to speak to us. And to be real to us, to reveal yourself, and Lord, to encourage us in our hearts that we might be those men and those women that you have created us to be. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless now the study of your word. Lord, would you bless us as your people and your church. We ask, God, that you would help us, Lord, in everything that we may need help with, things that we've not asked for help, things that other people do not know about in our own lives, Lord. We ask that you, as you know all things, and you're aware of everything that is happening in our lives, that we would look to you, Lord, that we would find strength and encouragement in you alone. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see this amazing passage of Scripture. Yes, this is the Old Testament book of Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets that the world has ever seen, that the Lord had anointed and called to minister to the people of Israel and to Judah uh, in such a special way. And what was interesting about this particular passage is that Isaiah in the previous chapters was dealing with a lot of terrible things that the nation was facing. I find it so interesting, especially in our climate today, with the things that we're dealing with as a country, which is hard to escape because it's plastered everywhere and we see it all the time. We're getting bombarded left and right with the things that are happening in our world, that we would see a passage of Scripture so profound regarding the birth of Jesus Christ that would be sandwiched in between a people group dealing with some of the most terrible things that they could imagine dealing with and then also facing difficulties ahead. This flash of prophetic inspiration led by the Holy Spirit where Isaiah takes a break from the turmoil that was in chapters leading up to chapter 9, 1 through 8, And we see this very special passage of Scripture. This particular verse that we're reading this morning 
was penned at a time where there were battles that were not just imminent, but they were raging. There were difficulties on every side. Just when they thought that they got past an obstacle, there was another one waiting for them ahead. I wonder if any of us can relate to that today, where you think, oh, I just need to make it through this day. And once I get past this day, then I'll be all right. And then you get past that day and you find that there is another mountain needing to be climbed, another difficulty that you need to face. Yet the future and the focus that we see in Isaiah and is the same for us today is not focused upon a country. It's not focused upon an army. It's not focused upon politics. It's not focused upon legislature. It's not focused upon anything other than God. That a child would be born. And this child would be a very, very special person. When we think about all the things that are happening in our world, you know, it's hard not to be depressed and discouraged. It seems like you just can't escape it anymore. It used to be we could turn on sports, and sports would be the, the great pastime or a great way to, you know, not think about all the other problems that are happening around the world. We can just, you know, flip on the TV or go catch a game. And everything's become politicized. Everything. And now we see that there's really no escaping the things that are happening in this world with the spread of information and how you can find out something about anyone at any place at any time around the world. And whether it's true or not, I guess we'll never know. But when we think about the things that are happening in our classrooms, at our workplaces, when we see the things that are happening in some of our cities where looting and stealing and hurting and killing and all these other things that are happening, not to mention, you know, different variants of COVID and lockdowns and travel restrictions and all of these things that are looming, it seems. You know where these different variants may have, may have, for all intents and purposes, have become more of a scariant than a variant? We don't know. But it will probably be popping up over and over, I'm sure. Our hope isn't in a system. Our hope is in a Savior. And so often it can become at Christmas time, yeah, it's the birth of Jesus and oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, and all the things that we hear on coast and in the malls as we go shopping. And we become numb to actually the importance of what it means to celebrate the birth of Christ. Here, Isaiah writes, for unto us a child is born. And yes, it says a child is born, but I think far too often we think that the miraculous conception of life is something to be taken for granted. I think we have become numb to the gift of life, and we cannot allow that to happen. Life is precious. Life has meaning. Life has been given to us by God. And some of us aren't living a very good life. Some of us are in a place that we don't want to be. Some of us are empty and lonely and are searching. Some of us are wondering what is even the reason that I'm on this earth to begin with. And there are so many, it seems even in an increasing amount of people that are asking themselves that same question. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Is there hope? And you look at the hurt and the pain of this world that's constantly, as I mentioned, you know, thrown in our face and it's all we see. All we see are the terrible things that are happening around the world and our hearts grieve. 
Sometimes it hits very close to home. Sometimes it seems that there's a disconnection because it happened at the other side of the country or another part of the world. But the reality is, is that there are people that are hurting and struggling. There are people that are empty. My heart breaks for those students that were killed, those, even for the kid, that young kid, to do such a terrible thing. And we've seen these kind of things happening over and over and over again. And have you ever wondered how somebody who is 15 years old can be so empty and so lonely? Because that is the system that the world raises its young in. Where you're an accident, your life has no purpose. And we wonder why people act as if life doesn't matter because they're taught that it does not. And here in Isaiah, we see God reminding the people in a very tumultuous time, life is precious. Life matters. But there was just not an ordinary child being born that we are looking at today. We're looking at a very, very special child who would be born in the city of Bethlehem, the Messiah. I think what our world needs to understand more of today is that every single one of us have been born with a very special gift. That every life has meaning and every life has purpose. And if you're here today trying to find out what yours is, I want you to know that there is a God in heaven who loves you who sent his only son, Jesus, whom we're looking at today in Isaiah chapter 9, to die on the cross for your sins. You are a special gift from God. And sometimes you may not feel like one, and sometimes others may not think that you're one, but God has gifted you with life. And your whole life is a miracle created by God. And if you have been created by God and you're not a part of the system that teaches you you're a fortuitous occurrence of accidental circumstances that have evolved over millions and millions of years, if you actually believe that there is a God who has created you, then that means that your life has purpose and that your life has a purpose worth living for. And with all the confusion, with all the evil things happening in the world today, as I've mentioned, many have lost their hope. Many have had their reason to keep pushing on removed. And it's such an awful thing. It's a painful thing. It's a sorrowful thing when you see not only the byproduct of sinful actions, but the outcome of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. In Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 25 It says that God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then this is how that happened. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. If you want me to simplify it all the way down, this is the answer. This is the reason to the problems, and the answer is found in getting back to the truth of God's word. We exchange the truth for the lie. We worship the created thing instead of the creator, the one who gives life. And really the key to 
I would say, in individuals' lives, in the people that we see just living their day-to-day lives, in our nation that have been given over to uncleanness, that have dishonored their bodies, that have hurt each other, hurt themselves, is because they traded the truth of God for a lie from Satan. That's why we see the things happening outside of the Supreme Court of the United States. That's why we see the Church of Satan marketing ritual abortions to those who may not be able to find them soon in their own state. But you know what? These things aren't new. Though we're experiencing them in a new way in our generation, there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible tells us. And it's always shocking when a group of people sees the depravity, the underbelly of society, and you think, man, this is terrible. And then we fall back on to, throughout history, things have been terrible for those that have rejected God. And at the time that Isaiah, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, penned what we just read in chapter 9, there were a lot of things for the people to be scared of. There were terrible things happening and terrible things about to happen. In Isaiah 8, 22, it says, Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Judah, historically, was just about to be invaded by the Assyrians. This was going to be very bad for them. But since the fall of man, sin has been very bad. Sin separates us from God, and we see and feel the effects of sin in so many different ways. Yet, this child that would be born, that we're looking at today, is none other than the Messiah, the Son of God. In Luke 2, verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the darker that it gets, even in your own life, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like you're despairing, if you have that sinking pit feeling in your stomach, if you don't know what to do or how it's going to work out, I'm going to highlight just the verse 9 that we looked at today. We're going to break down these attributes, these descriptors, if you will, of who this child actually is. It says, for unto us a son is given. From that divine standpoint, it says a child is given. This is more than just a child being born, a child being given. No one stole God's son. No one thwarted God's plan. People want to blame people groups for the death of Christ. Well, if you want to blame anyone for the death of Christ, you can look at yourself as I can look at myself and my sin and realize that it was for the sins of the world that Jesus laid down his life. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. This is why this child was given. Yet God gave his son for the very purpose of saving the world from destruction and bringing us everlasting life. And the darker that this world becomes, the lighter these truths in the scriptures will shine. I have found hope in the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
That no matter how dark it gets, no matter how difficult it may be, we find that there is hope and there is life in Christ. For God so loved the world, he gave. For God so loved you, he gave his only son. How amazing would it be with all the pain and the sorrow and disease and death that mankind could find hope in Christ. Maybe you've forgotten that hope today. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you've fallen into sin. Maybe you've made a mistake. Maybe you've done things that you're ashamed of. Maybe you just blew it. And you have found that your joy has been robbed from you. You have found that your hope has now been dashed on the rocks because you've lost your focus on the Lord. You've looked at your circumstances and you are staring straight at your failures. Nobody ever said that you had to be worthy to receive the forgiveness and love of God. The reason for that is because there's none worthy. No one is. No one is. I'm not worthy to be a pastor in my own efforts and my own strength. I'm not worthy to be called a son of the Lord because of my own abilities. We are not capable. And so if you have found yourself in a place where you are not where you should be spiritually, and it smacks you right between the eyes, and you realize, you know, there's some things that are wrong, if I'm honest with myself and I'm going to take responsibility, there are some things that are not right. I would invite you to get right with the Lord today. To recommit your life to Jesus. And if you don't know him today, that you would put your faith in him and have your sins, your worst ever imaginable sins forgiven. So Jesus came to this world to save people from their sins. And so a child is born, a son is given. This gift to you, this gift to the world. Where the Bible says, I think it's Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God, that which was given to you, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The next thing we see from Isaiah 6 is that the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, over the last, boy, five, six years or so, maybe even longer, we've had a lot of talk about government. We've had a lot of focus on politics. Honestly, you can't escape it. As I mentioned about sporting events and even, you know, churches will beat it to death. And I think that there's a place to discuss things. But I think that often our focus is lost upon the things that are happening in this world. It's not about burying your head in the sand as an ostrich. But it's about shifting your focus off of those things that would cause us to be depressed and discouraged and look to the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. It says that the government will be upon his shoulder. Whose shoulder? Jesus. And yes, this prophecy is yet to be fulfilled where Jesus rules the earth. And with all the things that are happening in our country's government and in the governments of the world, I have to tell you, I look forward to the time 
where Jesus reigns. What this world would be like if all of our officials, our mayors, our assemblymen and congressmen and senators and presidents and emperors would want to serve the Lord, to rule righteously. What an amazing place it would be if governments ruled the way that God instituted it to rule. Could you imagine if we had leaders that honored God with their authority? that lived by what God's word says was righteous, what was fair, what was honest, what was true. You've seen the byproducts of truth and righteousness in your own life and in your own home. Could you imagine that on the macro level? The massive scale of just the the governments across this land that said we need to honor the Lord? We need to judge righteously. We need to be fair straight across the board. We need to have integrity. We need to have honor. If you stood up in some elected official's position and said any of those things, you would be crucified today because the servant is not greater than his master. But there will come a day when Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth and there will be a government that is conducted, that is led by the Lord. And the further along we get in this life, and the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus, the more brightly these truths of who Jesus is will shine. You know, years ago, boy, it might even have been 16 years ago, I remember I was hiking off the Hana Road in Maui and we were supposed to go jump off a you know, waterfall and, and then come back before it got dark, but we didn't make it out in time. We hiked too deep into the, into the forest jungle. And my buddy, Dan, had a flip phone back then. If you guys remember those, some of you still have those, but uh, flip phone, and he was trying to illuminate the path with his phone. And lo and behold, halfway on our way out, as it's pitch dark and there's a canopy overhanging, you can't see anything, his light went out. I never thought I would ever have been so thankful for a tiny little Nokia flip phone light as I was at that time. But when the light went out, it was dark. It was very dark. And then the natives came out. No, I'm just kidding about that. But it was one of those things where, you know, you don't know how you're going to make it out alive. But what I found that day was that even the smallest light in complete darkness shines exceptionally bright. And even these truths that we have heard in Isaiah and throughout every Christmas season since we can remember, we will find that this particular season, this particular December, with everything that has been going on and how difficult and how dark it has been, that even the smallest little truth of God's word is going to shine exceptionally bright as you share the good news with those around you. We don't want to hide it. Thank the Lord it's not running on, the truth of God's word aren't running on Nokia batteries. 
We find that the light of Christ endures forever. There are also, on the flip side of the darkness, of depravity, the light of truth will shine. The flip side is light pollution. You know, I never knew that there was such a thing as light pollution until, you know, I went out to the desert or I went to the mountains and I actually could see the sky and the stars and all of these things that I never had noticed before. Because if you live in a big city, you have the shining lights of every single building and football field and street lamp and everything. And it just is like a huge glow. And it drowns out light. You just are, it becomes like light noise. It's the reason we can't see the stars at night. But there's also a lot of false lights, if you will, pretending to be spiritual or of God or righteous. Leading people astray. They're coming from pulpits and places called churches. They're coming from social media influencers and YouTube channels. And there's so much stuff now you know, I used to, I'm on Instagram. I don't really do Facebook. You know, years ago when Facebook first came out, used it a lot, but I don't really use it at all anymore. Instagram was my, was my thing when it came out. And, and, you know, now it's like, I don't know if I want to see another photo of anything. And you, and you, you seriously, you know, because you got to, you know, if you're going to use social media at a high level, which I don't, uh, you know, you got to create content, constantly creating content. And then when you just get sick of content. Now, I'm not knocking this. People use it for good things and for whatever, and that's their business. And that's great. I'm not trying to say that it's ungodly or anything, but I'm just trying to say is what I'm trying to say is this. Sometimes we just get so overloaded with things, with images, with videos, with experiences, with all of this, that it drowns out the still, small voice of God. But inevitably, there comes a point in every person's life where all of that somehow... I would just even say by God's design, it gets cleared away. And then you have the opportunity to see the true light of Christ. And you realize that's the real deal. That's what I want. That's what I've been looking for. You know, you think on one end, well, the light shines bright in the darkness. Yes, that's true. And always it's the depravity of sin and man's sinful state that the the gems of the gospel will be presented on. But then also you go out into the world and you just think, man, there's so many bright lights and there's so many things happening. Where do I even begin to look for what is true or what is right? For unto us a son is given. For unto us a child is born. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Lord, hasten that day. The next thing we see is that he's wonderful. This literally means in the Hebrew language which Isaiah was written in, this means extraordinary. This is the type of extraordinary that you can't quantify, that our vocabularies are incapable of describing. You cannot articulate this kind of wonderful. 
This is the God that we serve. This was the son that was given. It's the type of good and power that you can't fathom, you can't understand. It's something that is bigger than you. I love that Jesus, it says of Jesus, that he is full of wonder, that God is actually bigger than you. He's bigger than your problems. His goodness, his grace, his love is beyond your comprehension. In Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the psalmist speaking to God, the, the heavens, the work of your fingers, galaxies, planets, solar systems, creation, the stars which you've ordained. The psalmist says, I see all of these things. What is man that you're mindful of him? Man has become so prideful overall. I mean, not me, I'm the most humble man I know, but man generally has become so prideful where we've exalted ourselves against God. We have lifted ourselves up declaring ourselves to be God. I determine truth. How many times are we going to hear somebody say, speak your truth? You spoke your truth. That's your truth. Before it twigs, before you realize, wow, that must be a conditional truth if every person speaks their own truth. You know what's ironic is that the Bible has called it, every man does what is right in his own eyes. This isn't new. We just call it something different. You know, the, the lies of Satan are the same since the very beginning, but he rewraps them. He's like that gift that keeps giving over and over and over again. Someone opens it and they rewraps it with some of the, the cultural buzzwords of the day. And it just keeps getting passed around and around and around. The psalmist says, who are man? Who is man? A speck on a speck on a speck in all of the known universe? Yet, God knows the very hairs on your head. He sees every time a sparrow hits the ground. You know, as we get older, we make it a little bit easier for God to keep track of the hairs on our head, but he still knows them. What, are, what is man that you're mindful of him? God, you're such a wonderful God. Your ways are so far beyond finding out. The next thing we see is Jesus is called the counselor. The one who is able to lead us in all wisdom to help us navigate through the ups and the downs, the, the weights, the pressure, the storms, the enigmas of life. Our wonderful counselor. As James says in 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Jesus is our counselor. He's the one that we turn to for everything, when we especially don't know what to do and when we need to talk to someone, we speak to the living God through prayer. Honest question, have you ever wondered or noticed, recognized 
how so often it is the case that we just, even as followers of Jesus, that we just won't open our hearts or, or our mouths to pray. When it's the most important thing that we could be doing. I don't feel like praying. I'll toss a token, you know, prayer out there, or, you know, I'll, I'll ramble something off. Why is that? Why is it Jesus, the last one, why is it Jesus who's the last one that we come to when we need help? Our hearts get hardened. We get angry. We get frustrated. We get upset. You know, we're confused. We don't understand something. And we just kind of stew. And we don't know what to do. And we're just going, ah, oh, I don't even know if I want to pray. Why won't we pray? Why won't we if he is our counselor? Why? I have found, and I know this might be, you know, under the, the heading of confessions of a pastor. I have found that there have been times where I haven't felt like praying. I haven't felt like praying. I knew I needed to. I knew that was the right thing, but I didn't feel like it. Why? My flesh did not want me asking God for help. But the moment that I pushed through that, the moment that I said, oh, Lord, please help me, immediate help came. The heavenlies moved. The spiritual realm was shaken just at that still, small prayer. Lord Jesus, help me. And he helps us in ways that we don't even realize that he's helping us in. And so often we take that for granted and we think, oh, God's not doing anything. How come God's not answering my prayer? And how come this and how come that? And that's just your flesh complaining. That's your sinful nature griping against God. But if you discern in the spiritual realm that if the Lord hears your voice or even that thought as you pray in the quietness of your own heart or your own mind as you're saying, I just prayed, Lord Jesus, please help me. That he hears. And if you don't know what to do, he'll show you. Don't throw in the towel. He's your wonderful counselor. The next thing we see in Isaiah is mighty God. Mighty God. Who was this child that was born? Who was the son that was given that we celebrate every Christmas, every year? The answer is the almighty God. I do not worship a weak God. I don't have a relationship with a figment of man's imagination. I don't worship something that was carved by hands or created in a shop. I worship and serve and know personally the one and only almighty God. That's who I know. The same God that was written of by Paul in Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and in those on the earth and those under the earth. The mighty God. In the process to discovering your need for a savior, that, that process of discovering that your strength is not what it needs to be is a very painful process. It really is. 
You having to get to the point where you are completely dependent upon the Lord is not a nice place to be. It is very uncomfortable. The devil has a field day in that interim space between where you're at and where you need to be. That's, that's like you running the gauntlet. And you'll get buffeted, you'll get tripped up, you'll get bludgeoned at times, but you cannot give up hope. The Lord said, I am faithful to you. Even though you might be faithless, I remain faithful. I cannot deny myself. I am almighty God. That's what the Lord tells us in his word. And it's in that place where we actually have to exercise our faith, which we don't like to as Christians. I do not want to have to use my faith. I like to acknowledge that it's there. I like to say that I have it, but I like it just where it's at, resting safely on the shelf at home. But then the moment that my faith has to be exercised and I have to realize that my strength is insufficient and I have to concur with what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that I'm insufficient of myself as thinking of anything being from myself that my sufficiency is from God, there I'm exactly where God needs me to be for then I see Almighty God. Where you sit back in unbelief, transitioned into belief, Saying, Lord, uh, I knew you had it the whole time. Lord, I knew, I believed you the whole time. I knew God was going to work it out. And then your wife looks at you and says, oh, oh, you did, huh? The friends that you called panicking and crying. Oh, yeah, you knew God was going to work it out the whole time, right? Ah, right. But yet the Lord, even in our frailty, even as Peter with our good intentions, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never do that, Lord. I'll never do it. And then we do it. We sin. We fall short. The Lord's still faithful. It doesn't change who he is or what he's called you to do or his promises to you. He is the wonderful counselor. Almighty God. Almighty God. I wonder, for those of you that are here or those of you that may be watching this from some other place, I, would you just listen to what I'm about to say? I wonder how many of you here today are not running to the Lord's open arms. Like you're not doing it. You are running in every direction but his direction. Maybe you're here and you're kind of like, I... I'm here at church because it's the Christmas season. I don't really believe in or have faith in Jesus, but I'm here. I'm wondering how many different places you look at to fill the void in your life. That God-shaped void. I wonder how many of you here today might have been ensnared by the devil having known better. And the last place that you want to go is back home to the Lord. Jesus said this very, I, I would just say sobering statement in Matthew 23, 37, before he was crucified, it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. As he sat up on the mountain and looked at the city, he says, The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Every messenger that had been sent to proclaim the truth, those that have tried to reach out and throw you that lifeline, 
You destroyed. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. How often I wanted to just take you and grab you and hug you. But then you know what it says here? At the end of verse 37, he says, but you were not willing. You didn't want it. You did not want what God had. You did not want that plan or that truth, the truth, the one and only way, truth, and life. You wanted everything else because you exchanged the truth for the lie. Now you right now, you may not be willing to come to the Lord at this very moment, but I want you to know very clearly that he was not willing that any should die in their sins, but that all should come to repentance. And even though you may not be willing to run to the arms of the Lord, his arms are still open wide as he is willing to forgive you of all of your sins. For unto us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, everlasting father. Jesus in Revelations twenty two thirteen says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I've been reading about all of the businesses that are going out of business or shutting down across the country from, for one reason or another, from mandates to looting and to just, you know, well, especially here in California where you can, you know, rob things and then zero bail and you get released immediately. There's really no deterrent, it would seem. And they have all these places that were just hallmarks and communities that are going out of business. I mean, even in our own city of Irvine, they have now posted at the Spectrum, and it was just posted, I think, just this last week, that there are police officers in the Spectrum, and they have signs like the, you know, roadwork signs stating so. So in case you're thinking about, you know, ransacking Nordstrom or whatever, that there are people there that are willing to stop it, which is good, but that's not the case for every place. When it says everlasting Father, the one who said before Abraham was, I am, We don't have to worry about God going out of business. God does not become obsolete. God does not change his mind. He is the one who sees you as his precious child, his son, his daughter, the one who loves you, cares for you, the one who said to the people through Jeremiah the prophet, for I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So we receive everlasting life from our everlasting Father. We receive everlasting love and everlasting forgiveness from God. It's a love that cannot be replicated. It's a love that cannot be substituted for. You know, in this life, we lose loved ones. We lose our parents. It's a very challenging thing that we'll have to face sooner or later. But with our Heavenly Father, we never lose Him. More importantly, He never loses you. You know, my kids, as I often like to talk about, 
They love when I give them big hugs. I mean, Hudson's almost bigger than me now, so I gotta be careful how I rough house with him. But my three other ones, Ava and Harry and Georgie, they love it. I remember doing the same thing with my dad. We used to play this game when I was a kid called Tiger, and my, we would all hide in our, bunk, in our bunk beds in our bedroom, and my dad would come crawling in. And then we used to just jump off the top bunk and land on him because he was invincible. And then we started to get a little bit too large, and dad's like, oh, Tiger's dead, can't do that anymore. But especially Ava. Ava loves cuddling with me. If we sit on the couch, she kind of scooch up right next to me, and she's always loved that since she was a little girl. And I'll give her the big daddy hugs. I'm like, come here, Aves, come sit by me. I love it when my kids want to give dad hugs. And you dads know about that too. I'm sorry, moms will never know about a father and his kids, but you get your own hugs as well, which I'm sure is special for you. But even more so, we see a heavenly father who loves us more than we can understand. Because I'm an imperfect father. I am an imperfect man, but I love my kids so very much. And some people have grown up without dads, broken homes, abusive parents. And sometimes it's hard to picture what a loving father would be like. And every time I go back to my everlasting father, my heavenly father is maybe for you, the father that you wish that you had. The father that you wish that you'd be one day, or even are right now. Do not run from your heavenly father's arms. The world will always welcome you back. So many things saying, hey, where have you been? We've missed you. Come back. As you have one heavenly father saying, come to me. Lastly, the prince of peace. And finally, we see that the son that was given, he provides the way because he is the way. He shows you truth because he is the truth. And he provides life for he is the access for no one comes to the father except through him. In Ephesians 2.13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If there was no child born and no son given, we would not receive the benefits of having faith in the Lord. And there really is such a peace that comes from being at peace with God. There's so much unrest. It's because there's so much rejection of who God is. I mean, you've seen it on bumper stickers since the 1960s probably. If you know Jesus, you know peace. If you have no Jesus, then you have no peace. And it's true today. The world is looking for something to bring them peace. And we see in Ephesians 2.14, for Jesus himself is our peace. He has made both those that were of the world, those that were of the family of God as one big family. He's removed the middle wall of separation. And he's also given us eternal rest as we have a future to be found in the presence of God in heaven. And so when you look down again at verse 6 of Isaiah 9, it says, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is what we're celebrating this month. The birth of Jesus, the child that was born, the son that was given, and the one that we're waiting to return, who will, who will rule the world with grace and with truth. 